What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode. Listen, I am probably at my 40th episode right now, or at least I'm hitting that mark. As much as this podcast is about fitness and entertainment, the biggest message I want to hit home is that I try and help you guys become master jugglers. Now, am I a master juggler myself? Absolutely not. Am I working to become a master juggler? Yes. Now, why the hell am I talking about master jugglers and juggling? It's because when shit hits the fan and when life gets really hard and when life throws you unexpected punches, the first thing we throw out is our health. And you see, in order for us to be better parents, a better student, or in order for us to achieve whatever the heck we want to achieve, we have to become better people. Now, with that being said, the guest I have in this episode, Audrey, I'm not going to talk too much about her in the in the introduction because you're going to know everything about her. In, in, in this episode, obviously, but she is, in my opinion, the most purest, biggest definition of what a master juggler is because of what she's been through and what she was, what she's been faced with. Now, does this make her the most quote unquote strongest woman in the world? No, I'm not trying to say that at all. And this is certainly not an episode to make you people feel like I am asking what your excuse is for you to stay where you're at. This is not a motivational episode. I am not a motivational speaker. If this inspires you to be a better person or if this inspires you to help realize that, yes, we have to change our relationships with ourselves and the way we talk to ourselves and relate our relationships to other things in our life that we are dealing with, that is fantastic. Whether you're a woman or a man, 18 to 60 years old, mother or father, or not even a parent at all, I strongly suggest that you take a listen to this episode. Yes, I know this is, it's been an hour and a half, but this could have been much longer. I'm not, I'm not kidding when I say this, this has to be the most impactful interview that I've ever been a part of, and I'm extremely extremely lucky to have her on my, on not only on my podcast, but to have her as a friend. And listen, I'm not going to go on. I, I, there's so much I could talk about this woman. So I'm just going to shut my mouth as I always do, because if not, I'm going to, I'm just going to continue on about her. Cause there's so much that we, that we, that we spoke about in this episode. I'm going to let you guys enjoy this, but she is the definition of a master juggler, at least in my eyes. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, here is my interview with Audrey Burt. Enjoy, guys. You were a substitute teacher at Heritage High School, Go Huskies, for how long? A decade. A decade. Ten years. Yeah. Ten years. You're an author of... Your book that you just released, Living in Tandem, uh, it's called Living in Tandem, a new uh, a memoir, right? Like, or yeah, is it just a, Living in Tandem? I'm so sorry. 
No, it's called Living in Tandem. And the subtitle is a memoir about being more than an autism mom. That's it. Okay. Yep. Well, you just said that was my next note. Um, You have, I'm going to leave that to the last. I'm going to have the little mic drop at the end. But okay. you are a found, you are a founder of a charitable organization called, well, SOS, Soutien Autism Support. A marathon runner who participated in the 2013 Boston Marathon. So you were there when the bombs went off. I definitely want to pick your brain with that. That's for sure. And you are a mother of two beautiful kids. And one of one of them is Manisha, who is mm -hmm. currently studying abroad. I really want to get to know that as well. And Kian, who is, correct me if I'm wrong, I think the term is severely uh, autistic. Yes. And nonverbal. Correct. So for the listeners listening right now, this episode is definitely not for, because a lot of the, my listeners are mothers. Uh, for mm -hmm. the mothers listening, this episode is not a motivational episode where it's like, what's your excuse? And not, it's none of that shit. Uh, this is not the point at all. This is not an episode to make you feel like, oh, well, like, what's your excuse? None of that. I said it before at the beginning of the episode. I consider you a master juggler. I'm a new parent. And as parents, um, or not even as parents, but as soon as shit hits the fan, the first thing that we throw out is ourselves and prioritize our health and our sanity and here you are, I just listed all of these notes, and you've done much more, but these are some of the most impressive things in my mind. The most impressive thing is how you were able to do all this with a nonverbal, severely autistic child, along with raising your other daughter. And at the same time, ladies and gentlemen, you are still, you're doing all of this with your super gorgeous husband, may I add of 25 years and you are a high school sweetheart where you are so, a high school sweetheart yeah um i guess the first question is because uh, i'm little i'm just i'm flabbergasted uh um how the fuck how are you doing it how how are you doing it audrey first things first i'm ob obviously that's the most obvious question but um i want to start off with the whole autism aspect, if you don't mind. Okay. Because no as you know, I have a son. He's going to be one years old. And I remember um, when my, when we did the, I forget the tests to check if the kid has uh, Down syndrome. Down syndrome. I thought that was the test. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I remember the tests came back and we have, there was like three tests. And one of the tests, uh, he was, I believe he was 250 out of 2,000 in terms of the chances of him being Down syndrome. And that freaked me the hell out. Mm -hmm. Now, keep in mind, I'm like, in my mind, I felt like, yo, fuck that. And I'm being super, if you guys want to listen to the transparent episode, we're with, you're, you're listening to the two most direct transparent people ever. So when I found that test out, 
I panicked. Yeah. Because I was like, I, I can't even begin to imagine the thought of me raising a child who has Down syndrome. Mm -hmm. I made that connection where your son, who's severely autistic, and Down syndrome were, that was a test. Like, to find out, like, um, if he's autistic and... Um, it's because let me interrupt you if you if i may yeah go, uh, go, go. down syndrome is a chromosome uh you're missing a chromosome so yes. that's genetic testing so they can do that in utero autism is it there's a genetic component but there's also a environmental component that they cannot they do not have tests right now to uh, detect autism in uh in your utero uh, they are starting testing really young. I believe um, if severe enough, they could start testing for autism as early as six months. It's very, very rare. Okay, but it's not when it's in, it's not before birth. It's not in utero. It's not gotcha. while the mom's pregnant that you can have a test to see if the child has autism. Most genetic disorders, you can, not all, I don't think. Um, but for autism, no, it, it comes, it's more... Uh, or less evaluated via behavioral, behavioral testing. So, um, huh. you know, mom and dad would have to um, start to be concerned about a child missing milestones, or oftentimes it actually comes when the child is supposed to be developing language. Which is at what, okay, now I'm kind of. Now, now you know, it depends. Like if it's a multilingual house or, uh, you know, or just there's only one language being spoken in the home, that all makes a difference. But, you know, small children, babies usually start saying one word, you know, I, I don't want to, to, to be quoted on this. Of course, like no, 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 just, just, up. yeah, you're not ballpark, it's like, like about one year old, you know, the mama, the baba, the, the yeah, sound. Got you. Uh, when Kian went for his an audiology exam at 18 months. What's an just, audiology? So that's a big word. So hearing. Hearing. hearing gotcha. exam. This is actually how we figured out he was autistic. What year was this? Sorry. He was, Kian was just diagnosed when he was 18 months old. And how old is Kian now? So now he's 19. Now 19. he's 19. Yeah. But not a lot has changed. So the testing really? is, okay. is very much the same. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's uh, unfortunately very much the same. Unfortunately. And around 18 months, they should be putting two words together. I, Apple. So uh, the child might be missing I want Apple, but, you know, they're they're starting. They're trying to put two words together. And Kian wasn't doing that. So that was one of the markers. So it comes, um, an autism diagnosis will come, you know, around 18 months plus. And then there's always the idea that your your child will catch up. Everybody's well-meaning, but they're like, don't worry. You know, your child's individual. They'll catch up. But what's happening is they're not catching up because they're not me meeting the, those mile those milestones. And then so that's when parents start questioning and they'll ask the doctor, hey, I'm noticing my my child's not sitting. My child's not trying to speak. My child's not looking at me. My child doesn't like me holding him or her and it's different for everyone but there's uh certain markers they start looking at um for in small babies for us it wasn't that it really had to do with the fact that kian had chronic ear infections and i didn't want to continue to give my baby antibiotics so we went to have tubes put in his ears i did that 
Yeah. And then the doctor wanted to make sure he had hearing, but mm -hmm. it's a very behavioral test and he wasn't complying. So then they sent us to the Montreal Children's who said they had a different type of test. And they said, physically, we know your child's hearing us. So they redid the test. He didn't comply. Wow. The audiologist asked a list of questions and then sent the, um, sent her concerns to the GP who called me and on the phone said, Audrey, the Montreal children has hospital has red flagged your son for autism. That was the call, you know, that was pretty much what it was. And that was how it all began. I'm so, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And okay. I don't want to ask too much about this because this is part of the book. Correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the part but of that's in, yeah. part of it. Um, how did you? So when you got that call, what was it like? Like, how'd you feel? Because my heart is dropping. Like my heart, like yeah, my heart is dropped right now. Well, the thing about the thing about any special needs individual is you don't know how far you can take them. So I knew mm. in that moment it made my son different. But I don't know how different it made him. And it was only as he'd grow that, you know, he wasn't, when he got his diagnosis, he wasn't diagnosed autistic nonverbal. Do you understand? Because he was you. only 18 months old. Yes. So he could have had a speech delay. So that's what you thought. No, what I thought was, I know my son's different, but I don't know how different. Got you. Okay. So got you. if we'd say, like, let's take a common ground. We're going to talk about, the high school we both attended, me as a, someone who worked there and you as a student, if you take heritage, there are students there today that are on the spectrum that um, integrate very well. You know, they have friends and they do the things and they're very happy, right? So in my mind, I imagined I would have a child like that, that would need gotcha. extra support. But my hope was that my child would speak and be integrated. Mm. So um, my first, my initial reaction was I have. You were hopeful. I was hopeful. I was, I have a son who's neurodivergent. His brain's different, but I didn't all of a sudden create obstacles. Of course. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. And it's like that with Down syndrome people or any other special needs. It's as they grow and evolved, then we kind of learn more about what we're dealing with and, and what, what steps we have to take to give them their best life, to support them. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I would like, I'm learning a lot. I'm definitely learning just for the listeners. Um, before we started this episode, I went over to Audrey's house about two weeks ago and we kind of planned this out and she, you kind of told me a bit about this, mm -hmm. but it's still till this day, it's still, so fresh in my mind it's still mind-blowing to me that um i don't even know how to explain this it's still because i just feel like my age my, my my generation and i believe every other generation after me were supported a lot mm -hmm. we have a lot of uh resources correct me if i'm wrong outlook this like you're an og now right i consider you <laughs> Like you're an OG with, I take that as a compliment. Absolutely. It, it's just, so what was it like growing up with, if you could summarize this, of course, well, I don't want to get into the book 
too much because I don't want to spoil it for everybody. But for the listeners, um, this is about your book. This is about this is what's in your book. So you got the call. You didn't know how far how well. I don't want to say how. Can I say how bad it would be? His I would say challenging. I would challenge, say challenging. That's awesome. Thank you. Okay, cool. I have a very, I have a very beautiful life, so I would not. I love that. I love yeah. that. Okay, no, absolutely. Because sorry, obviously, I'm, I'm no. unaware of this, okay. and for the listeners listening, yeah, this is extremely educational for everyone else listening. How you didn't know how challenging it would be, right, right when you got that call. Now, if you were to summarize, he's 19 years old now. If you were to summarize. This is a big question. I don't know if you're ready for this. Or I'm ready. If, I'm ready. If you were to summarize the 19 years yeah. with Kian, we're going to get into Manisha later for sure. Perfect. Um, but if you were to summarize the, this whole journey with Kian and with you and your, your family, uh, how, like, obviously not in one word, I think it's literally impossible, but uh, what would it be? Like, how would you summarize it? Unexpected. Because oh, that's such a good word. Oh man, we're, okay. When we're faced with the huge challenge in front of us, you know, we have a decision to make: is the glass half full or is it half empty? Mm. Right. And if it's true that I only have one life, you know, everybody has their own beliefs. I'm gonna live the hell out of this one life, right? Damn. And so, I knew. Kian has been a guiding light for a lot of the things I've done. I never, uh, well, let's put it this way. I went, I have a graduate, I graduated from university. When Cornell and I got married, we made an agreement. I said, I want to be a mom and you want a career. So I'm going to, you know, we're going to, that's how we're going to work our lives out. Do we agree? Like, I'm not going to chase a career. I'm, I need to be there for my kids. And you are, you know, we're kind of old fashioned that way, but it was the deal we made from the start. Nice. And so that's what happened. And, uh, but along the way, I, I kind of changed my mind. Uh, when I had the kids, I decided I kind of missed the boat on being uh, a full-time teacher, picking my subjects and all of that. Uh, so I did something different. I became a substitute teacher and uh, so I have an art degree in history, a bachelor's of arts in history, and that wasn't going to define a path for me when it came to a career or making money. And that's not what I wanted, but I wanted to have an, a formal education. I became a mom. I decided it wasn't enough, but then here I am. My son gets diagnosed with autism. I decide to, a few years later, I have the mentality of why help one when you can help many. So I said, once I have a big picture of who Kian is and how he functions in the world and what kind of support he needs, then I'll move forward to make sure that my energy in helping Kian will also help others. Because why help only one when you can help many? I love that this is an old expression. I love killing two birds with one stone, right? If I can do that, I'm very happy about accomplishing, you know, putting the energy into something that is multifaceted and multilayered and will help several people. So with that, I mean, you know, running and SOS, the organization, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I didn't know, but I just went for it. And all this to say, to go back to the original question is that I didn't know. And I remember this succinctly, kind of like you said, you know, you had that moment where you and I met and you remember it like it was yesterday. I was in the car with Knell driving down Rome Boulevard. That's how vivid it is in my mind. 
And in my mind, I just knew I refused to be that, you know, that special needs mom that people were going to look at me and they were just going to say, that's just a special needs mom. And I was like, I said, there's more to this story, but I'm not going to be labeled like as I don't mind, but that's not who I am. Mm. Special needs mom, this, that kind of like really to be blunt, to be, you know, that woman that you pity because she's a special needs mom. So what kind of life is that? It's a heavy life. It's a burdened life. It's a, and so I just set out to prove, like to debunk that. I was like, no, no, there's more to this story that both you and I know now. And, and I'm, and that's kind of like, I think, I think that was always in the back of my mind. Like, this is my one life. And Kian is not going to be the reason why I don't do things. And in fact, it's the other way around. He's the reason that it ignited a lot of things in my life. You know, his, his the way he is and how he presents in the world. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it's going to push me more to be the best. Like, I want to be a good mom, but this is going to per- push me to be the best person I can be. So, Damn. You okay? You go, girl. Like that was okay. So let's talk about uh, the stuff that you've that you've that you've done. So yeah. first things, because there's, I'm not trying to, like, I'm not trying to give you, I'm not trying to feed. I know this is your episode. I'm not trying to feed you compliments, but I'm gonna give you the compliments where where you deserve it. You have a quite impressive list of accomplishments. Out of all the accomplishments that you've done, we're gonna talk about a lot of them. Um, which one, if you could think back to everything that you've done, we're going to go into detail about some of them. Cause if we were to talk about everything, I think this would be a 10 hour episode. Um, <laughs> but if we were to talk about, you know, if you were to have to choose the one that you think you're the most proud of, yeah, which one would that be and why? Well, I have poured my whole heart, soul, energy, and love into being a mom. And so when I set out to have children, it wasn't for them to fulfill something that I hadn't fulfilled in my own life. It was really born out of having this long-term relationship with my husband, Quinal, and really, you know, it it sounds like a romantic notion, but it, it really is true. I said, you know, I want our love and our values and our energy to be poured into our children. So we put forth good people into the world. That was really, really, and I have to say, that's probably one of the things that broke my heart the most because I thought Kian's not going to get that opportunity to do that. Do what? Sorry. To, do to be what? that good person to contribute you, to life and to make a difference. To pass on, to pass on yeah. the values that you. Exactly. To shine okay. his light because and then I was actually in an interview and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I was like, I could not have been more wrong in thinking mm. that way because Why? he ignited in me. So what happens is I merely became his vessel. I became his voice. Mm. I became his vessel to give the message of see me, respect me. I am different but I am human and I deserve to be here. So it was really that when I broke it down without Kian, there was, there was no running career for me without Kian. There was no SOS 
Sutiyan to support which, which exists today and has helped, yep. first of all, has hosted a run with over with thousands of people uh, that I was had part programs. of it. Yes, of course. And mm -hmm. had programs with that have and you have to understand when you create a space, a safe space for someone with autism like Kian, you're creating that also for the family. Do you understand? So the parents are happy. The siblings are happy. It's a whole, we come as a unit. And so if it wasn't for Ken, so I did, he did um, do, you know, both my children have contributed greatly to the world and they're just getting started so that I had, that's my proudest accomplishment is I've raised two really wonderful human beings. So I want to add to that. I went to your house. When was it? I think in December or January? Or January, January, January is my birthday. Yes, <laughs> yes for your birthday. And um, I knew who Manisha was. I never really had a sit-down conversation with her. Obviously, she's much younger than me. And Manisha's how old again? She's, she's going to be 21. Yeah, she's going to be 21. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. So I'm just going to paint the picture so for the listeners to, to really understand. When you're 21, this is just my my opinion when you're 21 you're not helping your mom host <laughs> breakfast brunch <laughs> and like getting their fucking coats and like welcoming you at the door offering you a coffee or helping you to hold your son as you walk in you're probably sleep it was a sunday right Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're sleeping the fuck in on Sundays because you're probably wasted or you went to a party. At least it's just my <laughs> opinion, right? Yeah. This was up, coming from my background. But no, Manisha, she literally did. I, I, I gave specific examples because, ladies and gentlemen, that's literally what her daughter did. And she was there the whole time actively participating in the brunch, which was great. It was super awesome seeing everyone again, but I'm, and here I am with my son and I'm just like, don't like, are you having fun? And she goes, yeah, I love this. And just to see the connection that you have with your daughter, I just, because of this, the, 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 the circumstances that you, uh, that your family has uh, been in, since the existence of Kean, right? I'm not saying you guys are quote unquote different or anything, but let's just say I made the connection where obviously Manisha had to help around the house. Correct me if I'm wrong. And so yeah. I feel when I saw you and your daughter speak, this was the kind of like the, at least the first time I'm in your home and I see the dynamics of how you and your daughter are. And not only do you guys give out bestie vibes but it's like i got your back vibes and look i've trained a lot of kids in my life i'm a obviously i'm a, I'm a fucking personal trainer this is a fitness podcast i've never really seen that kind of relationship with a mother and their daughter i have a sister and i recall my sister at that age she was i love you kayla but she was a piece of shit. You know, I, I leave when you, when you hit 20, when you hit, there's a certain age where you are, where you, you go through that piece of shit phase. Yeah. Where it's like, 
fuck you, mom, fuck you, dad. Like, you know, kids are rebellious. And all my years knowing, knowing who she was, knowing you, and uh, all the years of getting to know you more and your family more, I've trained both you and your husband. And I see, I see the dynamics with you and your family. Obviously, I'm not there 24-7. I don't, she, you guys don't give off that vibe. And um, I'm not here saying that, like, you're better than everyone else. Absolutely not. Oh. But it's like how, that's what impresses me the most about, like, Manisha is grown. Not only is she, is she beautiful, but, and she's super smart, but it's like, she literally has, like, a good, solid head on her shoulders. You know what I mean? And I want to let you know that. I don't think I've ever told you that. So I want, I'm, I'm happy that I kind of, uh, I, I'm saying that. But really, like, how did you do that with, you know, everything that you've done and just like, how were you able to just really get, give out this, like, we all love each other vibe? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it goes back to Cornell and I sharing very much the same values. So I think that mm. was in this one key to our success as a couple is we have the same value system, what we prioritize and what means most to us, we both agree on, you know, we both agree. And what on. were some of these values? Um, well, you know, you go back to community, open communication, respect, honesty, yeah. you know, um, and I think, you know, they say, you know, 50%, you're, you're born with 50% of your character, which exists. And apparently a parent has 50% to work with. So I said, I have 50% to work with. And it's ironic that you said that we give off bestie vibes because I actually raised her the other way. I said, What's I don't the other need way? a, well, I, I'm about to explain. Sorry, 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 so, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, I don't need a bestie. I'm a mother. You're the Ooh. daughter. I'm the mother. And it was only once we got through the really big formative years and it was actually COVID that magnified. Really? That we come close that way. Yes. Yes. And I was actually, I'm, yes, I'm actually very strict and I have a lot of boundaries. You are. You definitely yes, are. I am. I am. And I don't hide it, but I knew, like, look, you came into my class once and it was a one and done with your big mouth. Great. Yeah. It was over. I, I, I don't recall saying right? anything, but okay. I'm just saying, okay. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> whether any of those students and it's like, you know, you have to, but I also, you know, I have this way and I love teenagers to this day. And that's, you know, I'm so blessed. I still have many connections I made back You do in heritage. I do. I have, I've been to weddings this past year that just filled me up so much. And I really, uh, I, I was just so joyous, but I have that although this like authoritarian air of raising her, the, the respect is there. It's gotcha. not like, Hey kid, I'm telling you what to do. My theory and my philosophy has always been, I am guiding you. Mm. I am guiding you. And then at certain points when you're not developed enough, you know, it's easy to give in to the kids, but their brains are not de developed enough. We have reptilian brains. It's only, you know, we want what we want. We want what we want. Cause okay. Your kid at, you know, a two and three, if someone's going to give him candy, of course, he's going to want that sweetness, you know, it's like, but if you as the parent are like that, I don't accept that, especially if we're talking on a fitness podcast, you know, you don't give soda to a developing child, like, and I, we're not going to go off on a tangent. Yeah, you just know, and that's your hard boundary of no, this is, this is me, dad taking care of you, Landon, there's no soda. 
you know, until you reach a certain age. So it was kind of like that, the way I raised Manisha. And then of course, as she got older, the conversations would open up very beautifully and, you know, and then you, her per personality starts to shine. And I think also Manisha is the way she is because she is very empathetic because she has this special needs brother. Mm. And I have been told for many years how mature she is, how polite she is. And I'm not an overly please and thank you. Yes, there are moments, but you know, you choose them when you say please and thank you. And it just kind of evolved, but um, it started off with me being adamant. I don't need a best friend. I already have one of those. I'm a mom. She's my daughter. And even Kian, who's really hard to parent at times, I still parent him. There's certain things that I have a hard boundary on. And I'm like, no, you have to help. You have to help the family too. And, you know, if I can get you to do A, B, C, D, then you're doing A, B, C, D, right? Um, and so thank you very much because I take that honestly as the highest compliment anyone can give me is uh, when it comes to my children. Well, and thank you very much. So, yeah, you deserve it because what is she like? Where is she now? Where is she at now? Mm -hmm. Isn't she like she across the world? She is. She's in Prague in Czechoslo and uh, Czech wow. Republic. Sorry. And um, she wanted to do an exchange. She's a McGill University business student. And so she graduates next year, but decided she wanted to do an exchange. So okay. she's left. Yeah. Okay. So Manisha, <laughs> look, I'm sorry that we're talking about you, girl, but I got to ask, right? Okay. So look, I traveled a lot of places. Obviously, I'm a, I'm a guy. Guys and girls are very different. I don't know if she talks about this with you, but like, did she, cause she's, cause she's, she's a beautiful woman. She really mm -hmm. is like you, like both your kids are dropped. The whole family's gorgeous. Like you guys are like, <laughs> you guys are an ugly family. I, I take pride in that as well. My family, we're not ugly people. No, nothing against like, you know, like ugly people or anything like that. But has she, did she meet anyone that she speak about a guy because that was the first well, question about, I'm like, oh, well, listen, first of all, we're 2023. So we have to worry. We, you know, we can't know really means. talk about, well, it's, we, why does it have to be a guy? It could be a girl. It could be, oh, know, oh yeah. Polyamorous. Okay. What did I say? Oh, yeah. Wait, so, okay. Forget that though. Forget yeah, that though. She but no. somebody. Uh, no, not to my knowledge. She's really all about the experience, the learning, the education. She loves to travel. And for her, it's the different places. She's that person who goes into a museum and reads all the things oh. so if Mel and I go into a museum with her we're already finished and she's still yeah, behind okay. so that, that's that's Manisha if, if you guys aren't listening to the if you guys aren't watching the the video format of this episode yeah, when sorry. she said she's all about the education I'm like I'm like what the fuck personally yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't catch me that if I would go into a museum I'd just be checking out obviously I'm married I'm happily married but like it's just, uh, yeah, and we're all different. But look, she's happy. Your kids are gorgeous. Kids are healthy. Um, so how were you able, so obviously we, you kept coming back to the whole, your biggest pride in your life is being a mother. And yes. obviously with Keen alone, you have your hands full with Manisha as well. You know, being a mother, how did you fall into this running, this marathon running, because, and the reason why I ask this is because, like I said, at my age, the people younger than you, 
automatically, if I see a mother, I work, I, I work at Costco and I would see parents with kids who are severely autistic and right away, and I'll be straight up honest with you right away. You said it before I would say like, I wouldn't really necessarily say that's an autism mom, but I would automatically assume that they quote unquote, don't have a life. Right. My job. Right. right? No, and so, exactly. It's, it, it's that assumption of that. Her hand. Is that or, bad? Am I, am I a bad person? No, am I a no, bad person? No, Jesus? no, no, okay. no. I really, honestly, <laughs> Thank you, if Jesus. you know what, you need to highlight this one point on the podcast because Get you it. just asked a sincere question that so many people are afraid to ask. And the truth is, we need to talk about it. Mm. There is, you know, even when we were kids, you know, we use the R word and things like that. And that's true. Nobody, you know, when we were growing up, it's like they left us to our own ideas. You know, like we were growing up and they'd be, they'd be like, da, 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 da. you ask a question. They're like, we don't want to talk about it because I said, no, that, that was a Gen X upbringing. Okay. Like our, you know, we didn't get information to carry out into the world and there. Although I raise autism awareness, autism acceptance, there's not a lot of talk around what people's natural responses are. So I don't, I think your response is probably very common. And that's what I was saying before about, you know, the pity and all that, that people would look at us and then just say like, they don't have time and energy for anything else other exactly. than that child. And that's truth. And that's truth. Like, I don't, it's not a bad assumption at all. And I would... I would fairly say that most people think about it and to take it like to just really be frank and in your face. Like I know a lot of people and it's thoughts that cross my mind when I wasn't a mom was, you know, you know, if that, you know, back in the day, there used to be institutions, if that child could be institutionalized or if that child could be put away or if that child would, you know, pass, then that's the only liberation these parents would have. And this is like so taboo and people don't talk about it, but the, the love that a special, that parents like us have for their special needs child is very profound. I know I could feel in the conversations we've had, how much you love your son and it's, and, and you know, you love your kids, but they come and they get you somewhere else when you have a special needs kid. And so you, we, we would never want anything to happen to our special needs kids. And this is like shock. Like people don't talk about this, but this is truth. And if your face, if you're really talking and you're really learning about it, we are the population um, of parents. We're the only people on planet earth who pray that our child goes before we do. That our children die before we do, because we are so afraid of how they will be treated or mistreated when we're gone because we give them so much love and affection and energy. And I'm not talking like we pray for this. It's almost like, you know, just because we're so afraid, we we can't imagine our child's lives without us. And that's like, that's a huge blow up conversation, wow. but I'm just, it just, we stumbled upon it. And that's the truth. You know, like I joke that I'm going to live to be a hundred, which I am. I'm now 50. I'm going to live to be a hundred. You I, look great, I, by the way. 
Thank you very much. I, I try, I try, you know, I do the things. And then I hope that Kian, and you know, another 50 years brings him to 70. We're good. You know, we take a little cocktail and we both go, we both leave together. And I know for some people they're like, oh my God, I'm so traumatized. <laughs> Listen, judge all you want, but this is my reality. So I get to speak on my reality, but it, it, it's, it is heavy, but you have to find the beauty. I actually... I wanted to ask you this at the end of the episode, but you just brought it up. Would that be your biggest fear? If I were to ask you, Audrey, what's your biggest fear in life? Would that be your biggest Is, fear? Uh, my biggest fear, you mean for, for, well, no, it's not my biggest fear. It can't be because I am supposed to go before my kids, right? Like I'm Good supposed point. to pass. Okay. Good point. So, um, that is not my biggest fear. My biggest fear is actually like any parent is losing a child. Knock on wood. Yep. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Like that's it. And bless all those who are listening, who have lost siblings or children or no families like that. It's, 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 it is the hardest thing. And these people soldier on and they have my biggest admiration, but the, you know, definitely that is my biggest fear, but there is that on that other second fear, but I don't let myself go there. I don't sit yeah. here. I just can't. I, yeah. we, so like our life we've made, set out and we've made plans. And in our death, we've also set out to make plans in mm -hmm. order to help facilitate Keen's care and set up our children so that they're both taken care of in the way they need to be taken care of. Okay. So it then, it then is no longer this big quote unquote fear um, we, we just don't like it, but, you know, at the end of the day, we're still, you know, trying to work our legacy so that our, hmm. and our estate so that our children will be taken care of. Yeah. All right. So let's, 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 uh, kind of take a, let's go to the good parts. Let's go. Let's get a little, <laughs> thank you for that. Really. I really do appreciate, um, you kind of, I was almost about to tear up thinking of Landon because, yeah, uh, my biggest fear, you know, obviously parenthood changes us. My biggest fear is that as well. Um, but obviously with your situation, you gave me that, you gave me that, this is the only time I actually thought about your uh, circumstances. And um, yeah, so when you brought that up, it was kind of, uh, uh, thank you for opening up uh, like that. I, I wasn't expecting to go that kind of deep but let's just take a left turn here on a positive. Not that your situation before wasn't positive, of course. But let's just take a left turn here and um, talk about this marathon thing. Mm -hmm. Because let's just just so I don't want people to be like, okay, yeah, it's the one she runs. Like everyone runs. Okay, here's the thing, motherfuckers. Okay, you need to qualify for the Boston Marathon. Correct. I'm not obviously. I'm a fitness guy. I I I'm I appreciate sports. Oh, Audrey has to go. We're good. Oh, Keen's coming in. My dog. <laughs> What's your dog? Okay. Um. Obviously, uh, people are gonna assume that. Um. Okay. Cool. You run marathons. I ran a marathon. Oh, I ran half a marathon, and I just walked i like yogged it it's like a walking and jogging but the boston marathon you have to qualify and correct me if i'm wrong okay i believe for the women 
you have to run a marathon in three and a half hours? No? No, I'm going to correct you right now. Please. Okay? There's two things. First, I want to talk about quali qualifying times are different for men and women and of different course. age categories. Different age categories. For Boston Marathon or for all marathons? For the Boston Marathon, in order to run it, you have to run another marathon in qualifying times. But it's in age categories. Gotcha. So the younger people have to run faster than the older people. Of course. There's age categories. So before we get to Boston, though, I don't want to give this impression that I just upped and said I'm running the Boston Marathon. Of course not. Yeah, so I want to get to, like, how yeah. did this running, okay. how did you? Well, I, you know, so running has become very popular. But the thing is, is that that's not the reason why I started running. It's like anybody else, especially for the people that are listening that are beginning and they're like, oh, I'm never going to get there. You know, every runner has the same journey. We can only go out and run one step at a time. So you just put one foot in front of the other. And I'm super uncoordinated. Okay. So that's why I really got into running because I really couldn't do other sports. That's Kian. That's the Kian sound. Um, so I couldn't, I couldn't do any other sports, super uncoordinated. So what worked for me was really putting one foot in front of the other. And the first time I set out to do it, it was super slow. But the reason, you know, the beauty about why people run, when you ask them, why did you start? That is when you're going to get some really beautiful stories. So let's talk about that. Why did you start? Yeah, so, and mine, it circles back to Ken. It, you know, it, it was so intense to be his mom. You know, and I'm talking like stress, like, you know, some days we have bad days, you know, like 10 on 10, a bad day. Well, I was starting to feel like every day was a bad day, like a mm. 12 on 10. And I needed to run away, but I would never run away from my family. So I literally started running just so what year? Sorry, what out year was of my this? house. I, I'm going to say it was 2006. Gotcha. Because 2007, I ran my first half. And 2009, I ran my first marathon. So, nice. yeah. Okay. So, just wanted to get out of the house. Yeah, I just, that's it. And so, so and then, do we all. <laughs> exactly. So, that's how I did it. I'd be like, okay, hi. Oh, hi, Cornell. Okay, bye, Cornell. And I'd go <laughs> out and I built upon that. And then, you know, I decided, okay, I'm going to run. Um, I'm going to run a, I signed up for a 10K race. And I took it from there. I did the training and I bought the shoes and all the things. And then I ran my first 10K race. And um, then, it, then it got really addicting. Then I really like, it went from me trying to get because out. Because you were getting good or just I was, you loved the feeling? I was loving it. I was just okay. loving the idea of the running. And then gotcha. the other thing, it was like, Oh, I really like this. And then you go to the race and they give you a medal and you get a bib and all the people. <laughs> and I was like, this is like nothing. The sense of community and all that. That whole yeah. ambiance, you know? Um, and then so I I slowly in my head crept up and wanted to do more. So then naturally to the half marathon. And then the marathon to me was like, oh, well, people don't see me as a real runner. I want to be a real runner because in my heart, I started to feel like a real runner. So I said, oh, I said, Cornell, now I'm just going to run one marathon, just uh, one, because it's a lot of training for a mom in my situation. The long like three hours, you have to be gone for three hours. Then you're exhausted. So you have to rest. Like, so it is a commitment on the part of the family. If you don't have sure. that support at home, 
you're not going to enjoy it. But, you know, at first, you know, there's negotiations and all of that. But then, you know, when your family sees how much you love it and how much it means to you, then they support you. And so I said, now just one marathon. I just need to run one marathon. So I did the Montreal marathon, but I ran, walked it. So, you know, what I'm saying is towards the end, it was hard. So I'd walk and then I'd run and, but I, I ran a good part of it, but I'm very like to the word. So when I tell people, like, I wouldn't say I ran a marathon because I didn't run it. I ran walk. So I told people I completed a marathon. That means I crossed the finish line, but in my head, I didn't run it. So the, that was, so the next year I find a marathon in Vermont. And I said to my husband, come next weekend, I signed up for a marathon. We're going. And this time it doesn't matter how slow I run. I'm not walking. I'm not walking. And I went and I ran my second. Then I decided, okay, now I want to, no, I want to be a real runner. I want to qualify for Boston. <laughs> <laughs> and it took me on my third try. I qualified for the Boston Marathon. And my time back then was I had to run it under three hours and 45 minutes. Three hours and 45 minutes. Yes, for me. Yes. I did, just to give you an idea, I did my half marathon. Uh, we went out the night before. We had like a well, couple. The Raptors were in the play. I didn't give a flying fuck about this marathon. For those of you who don't know, I was a long jumper, so I'm, I'm a sprinter through and through. So marathons, the longest run I would ever do was a 800 meter run. And that was a warm up jog around the track, and I had nothing but uh, sour, uh, sour gummies, uh, Swedish berries in my pocket, sugar. <laughs> I did my half marathon in two hours and 36 minutes, half. So good job. That's awesome. Um, okay. So you qualify for Boston Marathon. Yep. And you're in the Boston Marathon. It's 2013. Yep. Matter of fact, uh, it's been 10 years. We just passed the 10 year mark of the Boston Marathon. It sucks that we didn't do the episode before we could launch it on the, the day of the Boston Marathon. But, um, 10 years ago, you qualified for Boston Marathon. You're there. Walk us through that. So where were you? Yeah. Congratulations. You, you. you qualified for it. Obviously, you did not finish, correct? Not on that day. Not in 2013. I was 200 meters to the finish. So um, the Boston Marathon is a very hard course. And as I was running it, I was just saying to myself, thank God I'm only doing this once because, wow, this is quite the hard wow, marathon. Holy shit. Okay. And, um, and I saw my family at the midway, I think 25 K mark or whatnot. And uh, so you're a, fat, like your whole entire five, but like, you know, like Keon. Yes, mine is Keon. My husband, uh, Manisha and Kunal were there. My parents, my Got sister, you. my best friends. Uh, we were a group of 15 um because oh, that's what I do I'm I'm blessed like that I ask I always say ask and you shall receive so I was seeing them at one point and I had to take off my tank top because it was it was a, had a built-in bra and there was it was too much it was press pressing up against my chest and I had already had a sports bra on so I had to take that off because I was having trouble breathing so I I put my bib on, bib on my bra so we calculated that was about a minute and a half so had I not done that stop, I might have been right at the bomb or I might have just crossed the finish line because the first bomb that went off was really was, close. 
Re- really close. Yeah, I actually watched a documentary before doing yeah. this. Very yeah. good documentary. But um, okay. So I saw, and then a lot of you didn't times, see the explosions. I did. I did. Holy I didn't sh- see the second one. So the because it's a beautiful you know so you see your finish line it's like and then i'm just like tr- like i'm just trying to relish this moment i've worked so hard for it and then bam. and there's military people who walk the course in full fatigues okay and so right beside me there were two military people and they flinched and i looked at them and i said that's not normal right because the bomb went off and right away i couldn't understand like is it fireworks <clears throat> Are they celebrating? Can't be. I'm running. You heard it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I I see the smoke. I see like the the sound. Like I hear it. I see it. And I'm like, but of course I'm not thinking a bomb at first. But I was like, can't be fireworks. I'm coming in over four hours. Like, and then they flinch, and I'm like, that's not normal. And they said no. And then I was right on a corner street, and as I turned to run down that street, the second bomb went off in my back, but I wasn't looking back. So I was right at the second bomb, but I Jesus. was not on the same side of the street where it went off. I was on the other side of the street. So so I didn't know what was going on behind me. And all I heard, of course, chaos is like, run, run for your life. I'm like, I don't even want to look back. Is You're already building- running. <laughs> like, I'm like, is the building falling? Because, you know, we're all traumatized by 9-11. So I'm like, did these people actually, are they actually blowing up the city? Like, so I couldn't look back and in order to make sure I didn't get hit by anything, because if you get hit in the head, you're going to have problems. I, um, I saw like a, 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 a there was a door, a glass door. And I went in to, to just make sure things weren't falling from the so sky. So at this point, your race was over. Like you just like, fuck that. God, I got to get out of there. I got to get my family. I got to get the hell Absolute out of this cat. city, you know? So, uh, lucky for me. Uh, I didn't have anything on me. I asked a woman to borrow her cell phone. I said, I just need to call my husband. I called my husband. Ironically, he doesn't pick up, but I say to him, I'm okay right now. And I'm making my way to you guys. Cause they were waiting in the family area. They were where they were supposed to be, which was good for me. And as soon as I saw them, I said, like they said, cell phones started ringing and stuff. I said, bombs have gone off. Uh, you know, I didn't cross the finish line. We need to get out of here. Like I, th- I, those were my three sentences. Like, let's just get the hell out of here. Wow. And then just, you know, people were panicking and one guy just put me in hysterics and it, it wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't part, like I didn't. You didn't feel like a runner right there. <laughs> I just needed to get out of that situation. So, um, so yeah, I had 200 meters left and I did, I didn't make it. Um, but what was amazing is that whole visual of um you know in the movies how they slow things down that's really how your brain works when you're really like in a trauma situation your brain slows down so you're able to process to make the decision of what's going to keep you safe so um unfortunately that night we had moved hotels and now Manisha and I had to stay in the city because our hotel was within the they closed down a kilometer yeah wide parameter and we had to stay in the city so and everybody else that was with me got to leave um and then the big question was what's going to happen for 2014 i think i believe we were about six thousand marathon runners who didn't get to finish finish, yeah but they invited us back they invited us back and i went back in 2014 across the the boston marathon yeah how was that 
It was very emotional, especially sure. considering my dad had passed uh, 19 days before the running mm. of the 2014 uh, marathon of cancer. So it was really hard on us to go back. And I say us, my mother and my sister and myself and uh, my friends who came back with me. I mean, it was mostly the um, the runners weren't hurt. It was or or didn't pass. It was really the spectators. And so, you know, yeah. if they were willing to go back for me, then I was willing to go back and do everything I could to to run for them. And I'd suffered post-traumatic stress. So I had to work with therapists and stuff. And I really didn't know. And I look back at my stats and I ran the first 30 kilometers, but the closer I got to the finish line, the stress, the post-traumatic stress was real. And so I'd walk and I'd run and then I was scared and I was just feeling all these emotions. But once I crossed the finish, once I turned left on Boylston, everybody knows it's the famous turn left on Boylston. I really thought I was going to die of a heart attack, but I hadn't really run the last part. So it's like, Audrey, you're not going to die of a heart attack. But I was just so scared. And once I calmed myself down again, it's like the it's like the finish line moved towards me. I wasn't going towards it. It was like it just came to me. Sick. And it was really honestly, I have to say it. Um, you know, I was interviewed after and it it really is the Boston Marathon remains like the layman's olympics it's yep. the closest that any marathon runner that is just not elite and of that caliber that is like it's they the say it's the most american they say it's the most american marathon most patriotic american marathon at least that's what they said in the um in the documentary they said it's the most patriotic and oldest um, yes. uh marathon in america yes so. And so it is, it's steeped in history, which, uh, you know, I was a history major and I love that. I love what it symbolizes, oh, yeah. but then, you know, that you go back and, you know, the feeling of resilience and love and the people going back. So the, ironically, the number of spectators doubled in 2014. So usually wow. there's 500,000 and also it has the most, um, cheerleaders, spectators, right. Yep. On yep. the course. So, you know, they go from average 500,000 500, to they were over a million, a million and a half for 2014. So it was really intense. You know, it was really intense. And obviously helicopters in the sky. And anyways, yeah, that's America. Say, man. That, that was my well, that was my Boston Marathon experience. Ha, I, you wow. know, yeah, it it was big, but it. Um, What'd you finish it in? I. It took me a long time. I think, you know what? Um, did it What's your stats like? Five hours? 4.44. Bro, you ran for four hours. It was over? No, Jesus it was. Christ. I think it was close to five. I don't remember the Boston Marathon time because for me, I mean, listen, me crossing in 2014. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's like I won it. It's like I won the Absolutely. God Marathon. So, you know, I was like. How many people have the, you know, and I'm sure there's some of the 6,000 who didn't go back, right? Because it was so traumatic, but all that to say, when I crossed, I was like, and it proved to me that it proved, I proved to myself, my own resilience, my own resilience, because you know what, when your father passes away and you're grieving, you know, so I often cry when I watch the Olympics and stuff and they give you the backstory and they're like, the I do that all, oh, man. 
the they, grandmother died yesterday and you're do that so good yeah they yeah really do, but i'm like i have my own story the, it wasn't the olympics but it was oh, the boston man. marathon the, you know? the nfl draft is happening right now and it's like that. oh man the, oh, they do yeah that's a tearjerker um i love them so is this i i just want to kind of transition out of this now yeah the book yes okay I want to transparency alert for everyone. I didn't read the book. My mom read the book. My yet. sister read the book. Yet. <laughs> uh, yeah, yet, of yet. course. But um how how did you how did you do it? Because yeah. this isn't a book where it's like I love books till this day. I love yeah. reading, I love listening to podcasts because I can't I can't sit and read a book. Unless it's like little paragraphs and big mm-hmm. pictures, I assume mm-hmm. you didn't. That we're not talking about that kind of book. Like you wrote a book, book, bro. Wrote a book, book, bro. And so, talk to us a little bit without giving too much away, because obviously, yeah. I want the listeners to order this book. And by the way, guys, if you order the book, you're going to get free shipping, and you're going to be direct. Di- di- Wait, directly? No, directed to Audrey Burt's website, which I'm going to leave in my show notes, of course. And um, so without giving too much, what's the book about? Um, And what would you like to, I wouldn't say warn the readers or your future readers, but... What would you say about the book that you would like the my our listeners right now to know? Well, first of all, I want to start off by saying it's not a book about autism. Everybody assumes that. That's you know what? I, I was literally gonna yo. That was one of my notes. I swear to God, I'm, uh, is that bad? No, not at all. It's okay. not bad. It's not bad. But it's one of the reasons I wrote the book. Well, first of all, I'm going to back up a bit. So. You know, social media, I have to say for me, has been a huge success. You know, some people, we have the mm. love, we have a love hate with social media. Yes. And I understand all the whys. We have a love hate. to everything, yes. But yeah. if it wasn't for social media, SOS would not have been the success it was. We're so going to get into that. It was a tool yeah. that helped me build a charitable organization that would help hundreds of families. So for that, love it. Then, uh, creating content's fun. You know, uh, I've always shared, then I went from, you know, it's about the organization to, you know, raising, demystifying autism, raising awareness. But then the 24 hour cycle became very intense with this whole story stuff. Right. So back when Facebook started, it was static. You put a post And that, so it stayed there. It wasn't just for 24 hours. Your post stayed there, but people would read it like a week later or 10 days later. So when 24 hour story came around, it's like, oh, but that's yesterday. What are you giving me today, Justin? What are you giving me today? Now I'm a big story guy. Yeah. Right. So, and it's okay because, you know, there's two types of people. There's those who create the content and there's those that consume it. Okay. So nobody's right. Nobody's wrong. I do both. I create and I consume. Um, But, you know, my. I got tired of the the cycle. Right. I got tired of the cycle. And so it first of all, it's always been in my heart to write a book, but I wanted to create a legacy. 
I wanted something that would last. So, you know, there could be a person from a year from now, five years from now, they're going to pick up my book and read it. What I put on social media this morning, it's gone tomorrow. It's irrelevant already. You right? know what? You know what? This is some of the things I'm doing with my own business, with my fitness. If Mark Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg, if this is not, so we, we call it owned media. Mm -hmm. You do not own your media on Facebook because Mark Zuckerberg could just wake up tomorrow and, and just like, it. you know what? Fuck it. I'm done. Yeah. And you were literally erased off the face of the earth when it comes to the social media. So that's right. really, this is something that I'm actually in the process of doing. I'm not going to give out any spoilers, but I'm obviously working on that aspect. So the fact that you wrote that book, the fact that you said that you related that to your book, that's really, really, that's super smart. So good on you. Continue now. Yeah. Sorry. So, and it goes back to being the parent we were talking about was I wanted to leave a legacy for particularly Manisha. So, mm. um, you know, w working with my editor, the question is asked, who is your audience? And of course, ego, your, my ego says, well, everybody's the audience. Like <laughs> everybody wants to read the book. Um, and so uh, I kept Manisha in mind. And um, why? Because I really want my daughter, if I were not to be here tomorrow, I want her to have as much memory and information on who her mother was. God damn it. God damn it, Audrey. You know, people are going to make shit up too, you know? People are going to make shit up. You're going to look at a picture and someone is going to say it was that day and another person is going to say it was this day, whatever. And especially, you know, how I felt about raising her brother and all these nuances that you don't just sit and say, hey, kid, I want to talk to you. This is how I feel about being your Absolutely. brother's mother. So anyways, I wrote the book, but it was in my heart. And I come to realize during COVID that I'm a project person. So uh, the first project I had during COVID was I bought a 50-year-old vintage camper and I gutted the interior and uh, her name so, is dear. Ladybug. Her name is Ladybug. She's so not red. only uh, with all <laughs> this you got going on, yes, yeah, sure, you did your projects. camper. Projects. So once I did that, then I, I set out to, to write a book. And to speak what you said to before, I still do respect that everybody's not a quote unquote reader. So I didn't want to write a book that was intimidating that you had to get too much into. So there, the chapters are small and complete. Like it's not and a Harry Potter book. It's not a Harry Potter book. Because that's intimidating to me. So what I, so what I did intentionally is that say you pick up the book now and you get distracted by life. If you come back to it two, three weeks later, you're not going to be lost. You're like going to be Potter. able to just pick up like Harry Potter, pick up where, or even six months. So I, I really kept everyone in mind and what I really want. So the book started out, I wanted to write a book about autism, but as I was writing it, evolved. when did you start thinking about this book? Sorry, I, I didn't mean to cut you off yeah, writing. Okay. So at the beginning of the pandemic, when we you were start, home, okay, you started thinking about it. Yeah. yeah. But then I got in my own way. I got in my own way and a lot of imposter syndrome. Who do you think you are? You're not good enough. Nobody's going to read it. Mm. Who cares? You know, all the things that we say to ourselves yep. to get in our own way. I was saying it. And then what I did is I flipped the script and I pretended Manisha was saying those things to me. Mommy, who am I to write a book? I'm not good enough. I'm. And then I said, what would I tell her? I just want to stop you right there for a second. You really hit something very, very big with me because as a trainer, yes, I train a lot of mothers. 
a lot of mothers and a lot of the mothers come to me. A lot of the majority of fitness is all about relationships. It's not about, it's not about, obviously it has a lot to do with eating and all that stuff. But if I have to put the number one priority when it comes to your fitness and health, it's relationships. Mm -hmm. I don't want to sound like a therapist, but after over 10 years of training mothers, they Mm -hmm. always feel bad. Because mm-hmm. they, they, they let go, they're supposed to be dedicating their time to their kids. And then when they're here, the reasons of training is because they hate themselves. And then I always tell them, I always tell them, I ask them to, I, I, they, I ask them to show me a picture of their kids. Mm-hmm. And I take the phone and I put the phone into their face and I say, would you say this to your kids, which are your younger selves? Yeah. And it flips a switch. 100. That's right. I'm like nine. No, sorry. I'm like 23, 24. I'm like, kid, Landon, kids were not even in my, but I was Later. like, why? Why would, because if you, if you are training, if you are, if you're working out because you hate yourself, then working out is a punishment. And it's the same thing with you reading your, writing your book. If you're writing your book and you think you're not good enough, then why are you doing it in the first place? Because you start believing that, but then you just said, you flip the switch, you flip the script. Yep. And so I'm assuming now I, I want to get back to your journey because so, yeah, that's so what back, flipped it. So back to the process. So in my head, yes. So in, you know, psych, psychology terms, I was speaking to my inner child. Yes, exactly. Right? And so when I was writing, I I wanted so much to extract from my book. I didn't want it to make a book about me. You know, I was struggling with the, you know, ego and you're going to look so narcissistic or whatever, but you know, haters are going to hate. So whatevs. Uh, (laughs) So what happened was I, I continued writing my book and the book evolved and it evolved. And so the book's written in three parts. So what people need to understand, and this is the biggest message that I want everybody to know is that everybody thinks I do and I do and I do and I do and I do for Kian. But trust and believe, everything I've done that I've shared with the world, I do it to show my daughter. You fall down, you get back up. Wow. Don't go the way you want, you're going to make readjustments. You know, it's okay to not be okay. All those big messaging, you know? And so what happened was, my book evolved and then I couldn't take myself out of it. And part of the process was, showing people that, you know, Kian's not an excuse to not get something done. Oh, trust and believe I can hide behind that child all day long, right? Yes, you definitely I can. can. Is the biggest excuse. And I just refuse to, and it's, and it was really, it evolved and it, I needed to highlight the things I've been able to do, you know, um, to many people I've had to explain, it's actually a book about love and resilience. It's not about autism. Hence why I had to put, you know, cause living in tandem, I think is, I came What does that mean with- tandem? Sorry. So in, in, in tandem, you know, like the tandem bicycle, there's two people on the bicycle. Yeah. Okay. So in tandem, they're moving together. So, Got you. Got- so we're living in tandem. I'm living my life in tandem while I'm raising Kim. I didn't stop living my life because I'm caring. I'm living in tandem. So whether we're talking about building the organization, you know, um, you know, running, whatever it is, I've been able to, to live my life in tandem, you know? Um, 
So the book evolved and it actually became about a woman and her journey and yes, raising a son on the spectrum, but also raising a wonderful human being, uh, Manisha, who's out living her best life in Europe right now. And uh, we, 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 everything we do is as a family, I wouldn't feel fulfilled. I wouldn't feel as good as I do without the love of my husband and the life we've created in our home. You know, I never started, you know, running yes to deal with the stress, but I never ran and did all these things to run away from my husband. It was because when I started running and they were giving me medals, that was for me, Audrey Burt, you know, and when you're a mother, it's, it's hard to have your own little thing but I had my thing. And so the book is, it's, you know, I'm going to say it's about, it's a, it's a story about love and resilience, really. I was not, I'm, I'm getting the book. I'm not trying to say like, because <laughs> uh, I'm interviewing you. No, that I did not. Cause I'll be straight up honest with you. I thought it was a book about authors. I'll be really honest with you. Not that it wasn't interesting. The reason why I didn't, the reason why I, I, it's not like I said, oh, fuck, I'm not going to read the book. I just feel because I've known you for so long, I would kind of ex like I I assumed. I need to say something. Get it, girl. And, and this happened in our event last week. And I said, I read a lot. I read a lot. So I had an, a signing last week. I had yeah, an okay. event of reading and a, a book signing and whatnot. And I said to them, I, I read. I, you know, I maybe average 25 books a year that I'll read. And I said, you know, and I said, you know, the last book I want to read? Harry Potter. No, <laughs> good answer. <laughs> no, Manisha okay. is not going to like you for that. But no, but honestly, was about somebody else's autism journey. I'm like, what oh. is that? What is that going to give to me? I, I don't need to take that on. I need other tools in my toolbox. That's not doing it for me. And so that's why when the editor, she kept saying, who's your audience? I'm like, Everybody. And so that's part of the marketing of a book is to really make people understand that, you know, there's a lot in the book. It's not, it's a memoir about being more than an autism mom. You know, I am a wife. I am a mother. Yes, I'm an autism mom. I runner, you know, I dabbled in triathlons, you know, like all of these things. I've renovated a camper, which I'll never do again, but you know, <laughs> I love for another 50 years so I do these projects and now I'm at the point where we're coming out of the pandemic and I feel isolated and I was like what do I do now because you know anytime you do a big project and you felt like this when you were you know going to uh your your competitions and you wanted to try out for the Olympics you know you get to your pinnacle and then when it comes down you're like what do I do now oh, no. so the book is out I can't force people to buy it but I'm like how do I fulfill myself now and so I'm I'm working on new projects <laughs> well uh with that being said ladies and gentlemen if you go on www.rgbertsaha.com use the code justin at checkout you will save five dollars on shipping so I, I'm gonna leave that in the show notes okay you we spoke a little bit. Do you have? Do you still have some time? Or absolutely. Okay. Well, I don't want to take up too much. Obviously, I have. My mom is in the process of playing with Landon, and I want to get to my son. Now that we're talking about kids and stuff. You, you, I, I can't wait to hug the shit out of my <laughs> son right now. Um, you spoke a little bit about the SOS. Yes. Um, you are not. You. You created 
this program. You said, uh, if I'm not mistaken, quote unquote, you created this program so for other families with autistic children could could like could feel like they belong and like it's a, it's a resource. Correct me if I'm wrong. I just butchered that, right? Did I butcher no. that? Yeah, so I'll just clarify quickly. Just, just take it away, please. <laughs> yeah, I'll just clarify quickly. So when my kids were little, you know, every city offers programs for the children, right? So, yep. you know, kids usually start with soccer or dance or yep. whatnot. And I remember taking Manisha to dance, but my heart broke because I knew there was no space for Kian. There was no place he could not, he couldn't be integrated. So I couldn't How, just- What year was this? Just so everyone could have an idea. Okay, well, like two thousand, yeah, to like two thousand eight, because the first runs two thousand nine, right? Okay. So he's getting to that age. He's born in two thousand three, two thousand nine. He's six. So you know, at five, four, five, you so start recently. If you think programs, of it, relatively recently. So I I broke my heart and I just said, you know what? Well, first of all. Let, I started with the awareness run and I didn't even know I was going to start a charitable organization. I just wanted to do the run. I wanted people to become aware of what autism is yes. because you have to understand, you know, we're, we're still going back to 2009. It's not as popular, you know, everybody now kind of knows someone on a, on the spectrum. Right. And so I just started with awareness and that first run, I didn't even raise a dollar. I didn't know who the, who the hell was going to show up. I said that maybe 25 people are going to show up in a park. I'm, I don't know what I'm doing the year after in 2010. Uh, How I, many people showed up in 2009? Sorry. 225. That's good. That's great. Amazing. It, it gave us the courage to do it again. In 2010, how again. many people showed up? 500. Wow. Max we maxed it at 1300. Yeah. I remember I was, I didn't participate because I fucking hate running, but I helped. Remember? You volunteered. Yeah. I was a stop sign. No, I was, uh, I was, uh, I was literally just. Yes, security. Yes, security. You that were, way. we call you street security. Yeah. I was just, I was like that way guy. Right. So once I uh, collected some money, then I thought, okay, what do I do with it? And I wanted Kian to have the opportunities Manisha did. Like, listen, every kid should have the opportunity to play in a safe environment. You Absolutely. Know? So that's how it started. And we, I created, you know, their leisure programs. And then it grew. It started just with children, then adolescents. Um, then we started a summer camp because a summer camp in a in a in a town goes to like age 12 or 13 right because then after that when a kid goes to high school they don't want to go to summer camp like in the city they want to hang out at home and yeah. parents don't want to bring them anymore they don't want to pay for that they don't offer it anymore but our kids always need help so now there's a camp and lisa kelly who still runs the programs at sos now she's opened up a, a program for adults who are 21 plus and who, that runs who are right on now. the spectrum. Yeah. Who are on the spectrum. And what we're, when, we're, when we talk about SOS specifically, it is for the cans of the world. Remember before I said that we know, you know, people that are in heritage that are on the spectrum, they wouldn't fit into the programs because gotcha. they, they can go, they can move freely around in the world. The clientele that SOS services are people that you say they have high needs. High needs is mean, it means they can't be left alone. Like Kian, gotcha. if like I Kian. decide to go out for dinner tonight, 
with my husband, there will be a sitter. I have to pay someone to come and stay with Kian. He cannot be left alone. Can it be any sitter? Well, no, we have people that we gotcha. Okay, we trust and who know him. Of course, no, no, obviously, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah that was a stupid yeah. question. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, no, no, it's fine. You know, it's like anything else. Even you know, you'll be like, well, Landon's quote unquote normal, but he's he's your life. So it takes a long time to build that trust to leave someone with your child. That's such a good point. So, yeah, you're right. You're I right. mean, I've had sitters come in, and they'll come in for like they'll come in for three visits before I'll actually really leave. Do you know what I mean? I'll hang out with them or I'll be like, you Good stay with know. the kid. I'm going to be in my office. I'm going to be doing some stuff. But that's just how I roll. Other people don't care who watches their kids, but that's not me. Yeah, good to know. You know? So that's how I've always done it. Um, yeah. So those are the programs. And them. so you are no longer, you you created it. You were the founder. You were the the the, the leader. Uh, and last time I checked, you um, passed on you pass the throne on to somebody else so you are not part yeah. of it anymore so when covid i was already on the verge of i don't like the word but that's the word they use a burnout well yeah well no like looking yeah outside looking in from everything that we just spoke to or spoke about in this in this yeah. episode like do you you people the listeners would assume like when the hell is this girl gonna burn out well what happened Before was it was burnout it was the burnout really came from because in the early days, I found it very easy because yeah. I would raise the money and I'd spend the money. And um, I go really shopping wanna, shit. I'm joking. I didn't, <laughs> didn't want to work with outside, but uh, the more money we needed to start moving in the direction of adults, yeah. the more it meant I had to work with the government, which is oh, okay. something I never wanted to do. I don't have the patience for, I don't have the desire to work with the bureaucratic red tape bullshit. And so mm -hmm. it wore me down. And what happened was um, I felt like I was alone fighting a system at the end. I really feel that the parents, you know, people were demanding things, but had forgotten that I was still Kian's mom. And I made it right. look easy. I'd asked one day, uh, there, I mean, I don't know how many hundreds of people were at the run or was it at the, no, it was at the gala. We had a gala, 400 people. And I turned to someone and I said, how many people do you think organized this event tonight? And they're like, at least 12. And I'm like, we were three. Oh, three really? Organized this whole event. And they're like, what? And I remember that because you know what? It's even, I'm very conservative. And even oftentimes I just ran a, my first race this weekend since 2019 and my girlfriend who came in, her face is all red and she's like, oh my God, Audrey, you look fresh as a daisy. And I'm like, it's just, you know what? I'm, I make it look easy, but it's not, you know, it's kind of like a, a fault of mine. Like I even remember one of the last galas, I was stressing out. My mom's like, Audrey, don't worry. It always works out. It doesn't magically work out. It's because I will kill myself until it yeah. works out. I go to the end until it works out. I cannot sleep unless it works out. So I'm like, I carry that. And it got too heavy. And so I was like, you know what? COVID is telling me if something were to happen to me, who's going to take care of my family? Mm. You know, if I get sick, what happens to my children? You got to be like, the best version of yourself. So I family then said, yep. you know what? I universe, I hear you loud and clear. I'm going to step away. And if it's meant to be, and I left the organization, I'm proud to say in a very healthy way, 
Yep. You know, I, uh, Lisa was working with me and she, she took the baton. I had put together a brand new board of directors, an awesome board of directors. There was a healthy bank account there. So I didn't leave it in shambles. I left sure. it healthy. And, and, and the hardest part was walking away, but clearly cutting the cord. Cause you know, there's always the push and pill. Oh, yeah. go back and help. Or I'm going to, you know, say something or do something, but I really like, constantly had to remind myself and there was a mourning period there was a grieving it's almost like and it's exactly like this I left left heritage nobody says goodbye like I spent 10 years there and it was like really same thing with the organization you know no you know it just Thanks you know for your love something and pour into it and to have that I mean that's not in the book but that also takes courage to say okay I'm gonna leave mm -hmm. and nobody's gonna notice you know, at the end of the day, nobody's going to care. Life's going to go on. And that's I'm, I'm leaving Costco. Uh, and are you, I, I thought I told you, yeah, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I'm not doing this podcast. I'm not doing this fitness podcast for, for shits and gigs. No, no. I'm uh, like I said, I have, I have a lot of projects when it comes to this fitness thing. And one of the reasons that's why, why you're like me, we have one of the reasons why I'm leaving Costco is because ever since Landon was born, I realize I don't want to be that hypocrite dad telling my kid and my future Morgan's not pregnant by the way, but obviously we, we like to have a second child. I don't want to tell my kids, you know, to pursue your dream. I'm telling my, my, my athletes right now, you know, be fearless. Fear is okay, it, but you have, you must embrace your fears and chase your dreams. Cause you don't want to look back saying what if, and I don't want to be that hypocrite dad. More importantly, I have to say something. What's up? And this, is how, this is how I live my life. And I heard this. I think it's David Groggins who says it. Look him up. He's a hard David ass. Goggins. Goggins. Yeah, come on, Audrey. Jesus Christ. Really? Look him up. I'm Mr. Podcast. Guy. Okay, okay. sorry. Yes. Yeah, so so he says, live your life backwards. In Damn. a sense. Yeah. Visualize yourself on your deathbed and go, shit. What's the thing I didn't say? What's the thing I didn't do? Right. And set yeah. out and do those things. Well, the podcast thing definitely helps me with the whole what what that I didn't say that I talk a lot. But like I said, at the end of the day, I don't want to be that hypocrite dad um, that didn't go all out because this fitness thing sets me on fire. I, obviously, for the listeners who are still listening now, we're almost hitting an hour and a half. I really thank you for that. But I could talk to you for hours because this is what sets me on fire. Like, because what we're doing, yes, we're having a conversation, but these conversations, like, Audrey, you single hat, this is probably, I know this is a fitness episode. This is a, sorry, I know my podcast is a fitness podcast, but my, I always say to my, my audience, if you pursue, if you prioritize health, aesthetics will follow. Yeah. If you pursue aesthetics, Health is never going to follow. And a lot in order for in order for you to get what you want in terms of your fitness aspect, you need to change. You need to enhance your relationships. Meaning you have to pursue your alignment. It's not pursuit of happiness. You have to pursue what sets you lined up with your values. And once that happens, then Fitness, quote unquote, beating myself up turns out to becoming, I love myself. I'm doing this because I love myself. You let go of your 
of the uh, SOS because you loved yourself. You knew you were going to a place where, you know what, this this is too much. I need to be the best version of myself for my family. So let, let's, let's do this because you mentioned before that it, so many of your listeners are moms. So, and you did the right thing by showing them the picture of their kids. But what happens is the beauty is when you stop doing it for the kids and you actually realize in the end, you start doing it for yourself. Exactly. It took me a long time to get there, to understand. And now I do it like really for myself. Like, it was important for my children to know that I would never put anything else before them, but there mm -hmm. then gets to a point where I know I've taken care of you. And now like, I gotta really do me doing something like now I'm trying to get back into running and it's really just, it's not like Ken is settled. He's a wonderful human. Yeah. Being. He goes outside. He hits the hot tub. He, he's, yes. yeah, dude, he's, a he's awesome. We go to like, we go to lunch together. We take long drives together. He loves to walk. He's a, a great human being. And, you know, and now I just want to get back to it. Cause I just want that little piece that's, you know, for me, for Audrey and, and I just want to say it, you know, it's, you know, it's like you're saying, it's all about love. So you do, you know, at first you do it for the love of your family and everybody else. And then you start to do it for yourself. And it, that's when it really gets to feeling good. And just so you know, at one point, and this, I'm going to be totally honest, but I don't want to go too much on a tangent, but I, when I really got competitive in my running, because I have had, I've been on a few podiums, it was to prove myself to others, but that. Mm. It's not anymore. Now I just want to be as peaceful as possible. I want to do it and I'm doing it all for me. And just, you know, I, now I like, it's the path of least resistance. I feel all the work I did at SOS, it was an uphill battle. I was just fighting the current all the time. And now I just want to flow with it. Now I'm just like, I'm too old for anything else. And, you know, I'm 50. I just, I I'm good. I just want to flow and you know, and I hope moms figure that out younger now than, than my generation did. So that would be your advice. So if you have, let's just, moms. let's finish off with this right now. For the moms. Yeah. For the moms, for the moms out for there. The moms. What would be your biggest, for the moms listening, we're, 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 we're done now. Yeah. Um, but if we could finish this off right now, cap it off, Audrey, what would you, what would be your closing statement? What would be the biggest piece of advice that you could give to moms mom guilt is bullshit that is your oh bullshit my story. god that's your bullshit oh my story. god oh my god <laughs> really it is oh my god okay i was not expecting i was expecting so if you need another love, podcast let me I know i was expecting like love yourself or like yeah. it's okay no. mom guilt is bullshit okay yeah. let's just yeah. Why? But I'm going to explain. I'm going to explain in 30 Let's seconds. Go. I'm why. not saying I don't but agree. I, I was just not expecting. All I'm saying is that it, it yes, I'm not saying, okay, but wait, I'm not saying that I've had mom guilt for sure. What I'm saying is that that's what you were programmed to believe. Wow. I was programmed to be a good mom. I put myself last. If I put myself first, I was selfish. Yes. That's how I was programmed. That programming didn't come from me. Once I broke that down, which obviously I did over the years yeah. and I came through it, that's what I'm saying is question it. Why do I feel this way? Is it because your husband's not supporting you enough? Do you not have the right people around you? 
um, that kind of thing. Okay. Cause you shouldn't be made to feel guilty because if you're going out and you're taking care of yourself and you're coming home, a happy mama, everybody wins, give her the hour or the two hours she needs to take care of herself and fill up her cup. And yeah, sometimes it's not even going to the gym. It's then it becomes the self-care, right? So go to the gym, go get your pedicure, manicure, come home. Everybody's happy. Okay. So mom guilt is the bullshit story, not just for the mom, but everybody around mom. Okay. That's it. That's what I mean. Audrey, you, this has to be the most impactful. I'm not saying this because I'm nice. None of that. I learned so much as a, as a man, as a father, I have learned so much from this episode and I think the most important one is the the biggest thing I'm going to take home besides the whole mom guilt. That was, that was like, that was jaw dropping for me. But the biggest one, no joke is the next time I do see a severely autistic child, whether it's with their dad or with their mom, my relationship, my connection has changed forever. And Good. I really hope. I really hope that the listeners listening to this, I hope the biggest, the biggest lesson that well, at least this was for me. And I hope the biggest, I hope the listeners could take that with them. Now we're just going to close this off by saying for those, cause you really did a great job hyping up the book. Um, the book is called living in tandem and you could get you don't get it off Amazon. I want you to get it on at uh, Audrey uh, Audrey and It'll be what, a signed copy if you get it on ooh. the website. It'll be a signed copy, a and signed Amazon copy. can't sign copies. Yeah, so anybody copy. who orders through the website will get a signed copy. Yeah. All right, and use the code Justin. Justin. This is. Am I an influencer now? I think. Oh my God, you're such an influencer. I think this is an influence. Oh my God. This yeah. Hey, salut tout le monde. AudreyBertSaha.com and use Justin as a promo code. You'll get $5 free shipping. I think the book already is uh, $25. Yeah, $24.95. And I just want to PS something PS. for your listeners. If there's anybody out there who is struggling, whether it be they're wondering about their own children or a friend's child, or you know, this, you know, someone's newly diagnosed that they they know uh and they don't know how to handle it, and they I filter questions like I'm an open book and I love helping people. So if anybody just wants to, you know, take that extra step ask a question. I'm everywhere on social media. Send me, uh, you so know, your Facebook, your Facebook, platform Facebook is Audrey Instagram. Bert? Yeah. Uh, it Facebook, Audrey Bert Saha. Audrey Bert Saha. And on uh, Instagram, it's a mama bear, but it all links up. You can find I'll put me. it. I'll put all that in the, in the, yeah, the show I really, I really that. love, I really, um, you know, it's like you, you know, randomly asked one of the most important questions I've ever been asked. And really, yeah. And all of the, like, yeah, yeah. Are you impressed? Section. Yeah, I'm you know me for a, you know me for a long I'm ass impressed. time. I'm gonna give it to you, honey. I'm gonna give it to you. <laughs> Do you I? Know, got, I like, really am. Nice. I really am because I, you know, I think I came we a long all, way. I was a fucking. I think I think we, day. if we're open, we all learn from each other. 
You know, I really, um, we all learn from each other. We all have to be curious and we learn from each other. So, you know, I'm offering that to your listeners as well. Uh, you know, because I don't think in autism support, we've come that far in, in all of Ken's life, sadly. And, uh, you know, it takes parents like me, but parents like me who do the work that I do, we do end up burning out. So who, who takes over, right? So, um, that's why uh, it remains to be seen what's the next what the next project is. <laughs> My wife is gonna kill me. I'm gonna say something right now. Hold on, I'm gonna say something right now that I never thought I would quote, but I'm gonna <laughs> quote. I'm I'm gonna quote, but you're gonna I'm gonna quote Mike the situation from Jersey Shore by saying <laughs> we didn't come this far to come this far. <laughs> yes and you know i watched who would have thought who would have thought this would have fit in this situation no thought. Offended. who would have thought all right look um i gotta go i'll just go ladies you. and gentlemen thank you so much for listening uh i'm gonna leave all the show notes at the end uh at the i'm gonna leave all the information in my show notes most importantly guys please call your loved ones hug your children tell them you love them and most importantly hug yourself Tell them, tell yourself that you love yourself. That was good. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. And stay tuned for our next episode. There's going to be a part two guaranteed. This is not going to be the last time we see you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Justin.